0: Hello everyone. Uh, My name is Jeff. I'm with uh, Virginia Music Fest and I'm here to moderate our uh, vinyl panel. Today we have four wonderful panelists that all know a lot about vinyl. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Two things basically, who you are, what you do. And then uh, part two of that is going to be two of your favorite records. Like an old one and a new one. Like an old pressing and a new one. Start with Jeff.
1: I'm Jeb Banner. I run a company in town called Bordable Software for Nonprofit Boards. I uh, founded Musical Family Tree and um, used to run Smallbox and did some other stuff in town. Old. I'm going to go with Big Star Radio City, picked up original pressing of that, and you run it out of the house in a fire. that's one of the five I grab. And then new. I love the new Big Thief record. I think it's fantastic, um, if you're not familiar with Big Thief. She's actually from here initially and then she moved away. One of the very best bands out there right now. Yeah.
2: Um, my name's Lisa Foster. I am from Louisville, Kentucky, actually. came up today to your fair city. And I, I run Guest Room Records Louisville. Uh, down the way, I run a record store. I'm also a vinyl DJ on the side for fun. My favorite, I'd say one of my favorite old records would be that ESG self-titled like uh, EP they did. Um, I still love that. I'm going to give three if that's okay. Okay. Uh, Most recently, I've been into this punk record, Fontaine's DC. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. It's so good. It's been hard to get. We finally got it back in. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. And then I really think everyone should own volume one of the Insecure soundtrack. Just FYI. Uh, It is so good. I cannot stop listening to it ever. And so that's all.
3: Hey, thanks for making the drive.
2: It was fun. For
3: yes, real. Yeah. My name's Chris Banna. I run Romanus Records. Uh, it's a custom vinyl label and normal label, I guess, all at the same time. I make a lot of weird stuff, like world's first LED record, things like that. So I live a really weird life. And when I'm not huffing sealants making these things, <laughs> the other things that I do... Uh, oh, your question was about record old new. Uh, old, definitely MC5, their live album, first one. If you don't, if you haven't listened to that, you're living life wrong. And then New, also you're living life wrong, if you haven't listened to this. Ty Seagull Twins, I, just such a banger. Ty Seagull is just the king, the garage rock king of Middle Earth, and like everything he touches is gold. That's all I have.
4: Uh, my name is DJ Gabby Love. I'm a professional DJ, um, both locally, Um, nationally and internationally I do clubs private events also curate playlists do a lot of different things throw parties say probably my old my favorite old vinyl record that I have is a um, heart shaped pressing of Bobby Caldwell's what you won't do for love it's awesome Um, also chic I want your love my favorite songs um, i think sao paulo's actually on the other side of that so that's another banger um and i think my most recent newest favorite is probably boy harsher's careful um which is just an amazing record and i have that on vinyl as well love it oh also um the recording of uh portis head live at hammerstein ballroom is incredible
0: wonderful thank you all it's a pleasure to have you here So, my first question, I'm kind of going to start off with Chris, just because you're a manufacturer. Of sorts. Of sorts. And so, let's just start at the beginning of vinyl. Like, give us a little bit of your knowledge about how it's made. (laughs) Don't give away any secrets, because I know you have some. I won't, but this is no secret.
3: You have the best hair on this panel. I just... (laughs) And it's just like... It's just... As I look over, (laughs) it's it's just always in my gaze. I'm glad I got my
4: own chair, because it can get in the way a little bit. I just
3: want... Yeah. Sorry. I had to. (laughs) I wanted to get that out there now. All right. Thank Anywho, you for doing it so I don't have to. When I'm not thinking about how much better her hair is than mine. No, uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the way vinyl works, you would know. Basically, you send nowadays digital files normally, but you can cut it analog. You can send it tapes. You could. There's a whole bunch of different ways, but those are the main ones. And it gets sent normally to the lacquers, are normally cut either at the plant. Um, And there are many plants here in the U.S. Since she's from Louisville. I'm going to throw out Palomino Records Pressing, Super Mom Pa. They got one machine there and one dude called Dash, and he does it. sweet. They're, like, probably the best people for, like, small runs. So if you're looking just to get into it, um, they're great. Anywho, so you, you get the lacquer cut. Sometimes you can get it cut outside of that. Like, Nashville Record Productions does a real good job. And then it gets sent off to get stampers made pretty much always to a place called Mastercraft in New Jersey, which is the like overlord of uh, stampers. And they just make them for everyone on the planet. I don't even know of another one. They're the Walmart of stampers for sure, but they do a good job. And then it gets sent back to the plant. And from that, you get, that's where your vinyl gets made from that point on, more or less. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, I don't know how nerdy we want to get with vinyl pressings, or vinyl in general, but does anybody want to talk about the general way that vinyl works? Does anybody know?
3: Works well if you have a good record player.
0: Yes. But, like,
3: just the... Good, good, clean
4: needles do help. (laughs) Physics. Science, magic. On
3: on the thought of vinyl and it working (laughs) well, though, for real, one of the best investments you can ever make is just getting, like, the little $20, $10 little bar and the juice like and it, just clean your records like you don't have to clean it every time but if you live somewhere it's real dusty you know it's not going to hurt you and as someone who hand makes a lot of custom records there's kind of a misconception that like custom handmade records sound like doo-doo and I think most of the times because when they're made people don't clean them and I clean and test every record and they sound just as good as when they came from the plant unless I screw up so clean your records there's all kinds of good stuff out there and just it's very different than it's in some ways it's not too much different than digital i guess like if you're listening through a good set of speakers good set of headphones you're going to notice a difference no different than vinyl vinyl though is a lot more obvious um if you've just got you know nothing wrong with it but your starter turntable that's got speakers all plugged in it's an all-in-one and the needle's hopping around it may have nothing to do with record it's just that you need a tone arm with weight and Things like that. But the more you get into it, the more you typically like it. and
0: Yeah, that's enough for me. What do you guys think? Agreed. <laughs> so we kind of know, I mean, just in general with, you know, economics, we kind of figured out how new is price just based off of production and then based off of, you know, a little bit of markup so that very little bit of markup so that you can kind of turn a profit and continue to do what you're doing. But when it comes to used, I think it's kind of for Lisa and Jeb maybe, what kind of goes into the pricing of a used album
2: there are a lot of variables in pricing used records but it, i think it should be no secret that there's a much higher profit margin for people who are selling vinyl and used records and there is a new so in louisville we're very fortunate there are a lot of places you can buy records i love it it's one of my favorite things and i know that india is the same way uh great stores in this town but it's much more profitable and kind of easier especially as you're getting off the ground to sell used records because you have a higher profit margin So if you bring a stack of records into the store for us to buy, pretty up front we say, look, we're going to probably pay you somewhere between 28% to 40% of what we could sell this for. And then the question is, what do we sell it for? Well, now we have a whole bevy of Internet resources that you have access to, we have access to, and that's kind of what we go to. So we'll look at Discogs medians. Um, Are you all familiar with Discogs? Sort sort of, it's a database that has kind of become the peer to peer seller platform, like eBay. It's Um, like eBay,
3: but if they like a library of everything sold.
2: Yeah, it's really it's a great resource archive in that way. It's a great place to learn about records and different pressings, and you know, so we kind of take a lot of care in going through and looking to make sure is it scratch free, is uh, it in good condition, which pressing is it, and we do all the research we can, and then we try to make the fairest offer to the person we're buying it from to give our consumer the best price, which we try and keep at just below the median going value, unless our market is crazy for a thing, right? So every market's different. And you know if you're living in Austin, Texas, where I lived for a while, then a Love Lovett record might be really expensive, but in Louisville, nobody's buying a Lyle Lovett record these days. So it just kind of depends um, on market, on what you've got and pressing those kinds of things but the going the going right I think most stores would tell you is you're going to get 25 to 40 percent of what it can be sold for
3: why aren't my hundreds of Elvis records worth so much money
2: supply and demand basic supply and demand I mean it's really great if you ever take like an intro economics class record vinyl selling is perfect supply and demand because you know Barbra Streisand is actually a very good singer. She made some very good albums. You know how much we sell Barbra Streisand records for? Like a buck, maybe, right? There's nothing wrong with them. There's just no demand for them until somebody samples her and makes her hot again, and then we'll sell them for a lot. It doesn't change anything about the nature of the record itself. It's just all about supply and demand.
1: I think the big difference recently with uh, used vinyl is Discogs. Yeah. Like, because... Five years ago, even, you'd go into a record store and you could get gems for four or five bucks. You really can't anymore. The only way to do that is to buy collections, which I I like to do. I could buy a collection. And then I have friends come over and we pick through it. And then I eventually send a bunch to Goodwill or something. But, you know, it's really hard to find gems at record stores anymore. And I don't fault them for it because if I ran a record store, I'd do the same thing. You don't want to sell a first pressing of a great record for five bucks if it's 50. Right. But as a record store you know, customer, it dissuade, I spend a lot less money at record stores now than I used to. Because I've also, well, I've been collecting for 20-some years. That's part of it. But it's just like the fines are fewer and fewer. So I'll, I'll spend, I buy fewer records, but spend more for the records I buy. That's a big change in the last five years. At least my experience.
3: Discogs has also probably actually helped a lot of record stores if
1: they've integrated their stock into it for sure for selling those hard those weird rare titles that aren't necessarily going to sell locally but they're 100 bucks in japan
2: yeah i think if you are traveling record shopping that kind of thing i think it's always fair to just ask somebody at the store like hey do you guys keep your rare records like on the wall or do you typically sell them online first i know in our store we really try and give everything at least three months in the shop because we want to keep it local we want it to circulate in our community first and then you know if we're looking at a Beatles butcher cover six months later, then that's when we are like, okay, we got to get this out of here. I won't look at it anymore and we will go online. But there are especially a lot of stores that have actually been able to stay open because they will, they can, there's a much broader audience, right? You don't have to just sell on your brick and mortar. You can also sell online.
0: What about like the vintage resale shops? Do you find any, do you ever look there for any kind of like rare finds?
1: Antique stores are actually great they usually don't know how to price vinyl. They price them crazy. Like they'll price something really common for $15 and they'll price something pretty rare for like $5. They just don't know how to price because they're using old price guides because it's usually like somebody who doesn't know disc cogs and know how to price. Goodwills are still fun. I found a copy of Zerfus locally at Goodwill for a dollar, which is, if anybody knows Zerfus, it's a extremely rare 500 co- you know count uh, prog psych record from Indiana. Um, You'll still find gems like that occasionally, but like the really big digging opportunities that came out of the late '90s, early 2000s are mostly gone. And that's when you could get like crazy records for a dollar. You know, that's now I think that's actually happening in the CD world. I think and this is not a forum on CDs, but CDs are actually this is a great time to buy CDs uh, and DVDs and VHS. But we can talk. That's another forum. I got seven copies of
0: Bambi. (laughs)
4: All
0: right, uh, Gabby, this one's for you. You kind of came into Square Cat the other day, and you were looking for something, and I don't remember what the name of it was.
4: Uh, Serato Vinyl.
0: Yeah, can you explain (laughs) what that is?
4: Um, So basically, there is a program that is used for DJing called Serato, and it's um, basically the first and foremost, the best program, the most used program by real professional DJs. So it it allows you to have your music in MP3 format and then use these Serato records, which is a vinyl record, and it just has a tone on it. So it's essentially blank. Um, It allows you to send the MP3 from the program through the mixer to the vinyl record. So essentially, any song I have in that program, I can make a record just right then and there. Uh, My current library of music, I think, is like 75,000 songs, Um, and on any given night, you know, I maybe play 100 or so, but I'm very, well, probably more than that if I do the math, Eh, it depends. I like to get in and out of stuff, but um, (laughs) I'm very open format, so, and I don't plan ahead, and I don't like to plan ahead. I like to look at my crowd, look at the atmosphere, and just kind of go from there. So I like to have a lot of songs on hand So obviously even carrying like 500 vinyl records to a gig would be a huge undertaking Um, And that's what I feel like I would need to do in order to DJ the way that I do So yeah, the... Having that technology is amazing. I mean, and again, there have been a lot of innovations in the DJ world. It's gone, obviously, um, digital with still having the turntable option. You know, there's like CDJs, controllers, a lot of things that you can do to DJ. And I use both. I learned on turntables on vinyl records, and I, whenever I have the opportunity to DJ. Vinyl sets, I I love it, and that's usually more like when I go to buy vinyl records, it's more just for me, and like I look for the music that I love, and in creating my collection, and if I have the opportunity to play them out, like that's even better. But uh, yeah, it, it basically too with the preference, you know, you have some DJs that just DJ on CDJs because that's what they know. Others who are like, oh, vinyl only, you know. Either way is fine. I do both. I am always going to prefer turntables and the vinyl um, just because that's how I learned. I love the feel of it. Not always the most practical method of, you know... DJing and playing music obviously being in a club having a sub and you know even being on a stage or a table That's wobbly. I mean you're at the mercy of these records and the needles and they have you know the Tendency to skip and do all sorts of things I mean you'd be amazed the amount of dust that is collected overnight on equipment is like people look at it like When was the last time you cleaned this? I'm like "Uh, last night after I DJ like and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of gross but but, yeah, I mean, the beauty of having also the Serato program is there's an internal mode. So if anything goes wrong, it will go into internal mode. Or if the, record, the Serato records themselves are about 15 minutes long, so as soon as it gets out of that 15 minutes and you're going towards the center, it'll just go into internal mode automatically. So the, it's all, that is awesome because, again, if something goes wrong in the moment with the needle in the actual record, the music won't stop. So that's definitely a nice um, bit of technology that still allows, you know, vinyl DJs to, yeah, DJs who are using Serato with turntables to DJ without any um, hiccups.
0: It sounds like that technology has come a long way.
4: Um, It has come a long way. I mean, it's still, I mean, this year, um, Rain debuted their new turntables, which It's digital, but it has a platter that has like a vinyl record. It's almost like a CDJ, but it's an actual, it's not vinyl, it's just like a vinyl shaped record. And those are really cool. And that's kind of a nice blend between, you know, just the ease of the CDJ and then the feel of the vinyl. So for a DJ like me, who prefers that feel, but can also DJ on CDJs and doesn't want to have to worry about all of the mishaps that can happen with vinyl like that's it's a really cool technology
0: did that technology kind of come along with the resurgence of vinyl or was that kind of started when djing digitally became bigger
4: um it started definitely when like the djing became like digital I would say there, I think there is a correlation, though, between, like, the fascination with DJing and the resurgence of vinyl as well. That was going to be my next yeah. question. <laughs> I think it's kind of, like, sparked, I mean, people's interest. I mean, having, d- before, like, DJing, I mean, again, like, collecting the vinyl, carrying the equipment, all of that, it would took. there weren't a lot of, I guess, people who, I mean, people who obviously saw DJs, like, oh, that's really cool, but, like, then when you get to understand like how hard it was to actually get into that definitely deterred a lot of people away from it so once these uh, digital programs came came along Serato being the first and there just being this ease of learning how to DJ I do think that really sparked people's interest in the vinyl as well again and that just kind of being something that was doable without I guess all the hassles that were in it before you know what
0: are the rest of you think were some of the reasons that the resurgence of vinyl kind of came back
4: i would say nostalgia as well yeah like I, there's I think definitely
0: for some people nostalgia yeah i think i think why it's sticking
1: around though is because it's a superior experience on a, like in terms of like overall experience of having a physical sleeve that you pull out you look at it you pull out the record you put it on a turntable it's very interactive, it's immersive, it's focused. It pushes you to listen to stuff you wouldn't normally listen to because you got to get through the side. It's not easy to jump around. And uh, I've, I'm in this group called Perfect Sides. It's a group of uh, guys that get together and we listen to um, records. We did this last night, a side of a record. And that group's been doing that for about seven years. And it's a really neat experience to bring records and to talk about why the record matters to you and having that object makes it almost like ceremonial, and I think that that it just doesn't feel that way. and I love digital. I'm a Spotify user, MFTs a, you know a digital archive, you know but that that ritual around vinyl is really uh, special, and we're physical beings, you know we're not virtual beings, and so having that physical op- totem, if you will, is really cool.
2: I would agree with those things. I also think you know I used to talk about this as being. This is a weird word, but I used to call it a post-digital response because there was a time period around 2007, which is when we really start to begin to see the ticks of vinyl sales going up, where we hadn't started streaming, right, and and people were still downloading, and they had we had our iPods in the car or what have you, and all of a sudden people begin to realize they don't own the things they've paid for, that they can't pass them along. There was a famous case with like... A, Oh, I forget his name all of a sudden. Bruce Willis, right? And he wanted to put his iTunes library in his will for his kids. And they were like, oh, well, you can't do that because actually this is code and... All these different kinds of things that all of a sudden your music that you understood that was yours, that you owned, became digital matter that you didn't understand, that you didn't own. And people were like, oh, hell no, right? And started looking in different directions and not on mass, right? Not going back to mass culture, but a, a very growing solid niche of consumers said, no, I want to pay money for something that i own, right? as well as have this experience with it, as well as have a different kind of sound. That that kind of ownership over music that you love, i think became important to people again in a different way. And i think that's the reason why ultimately you will hang around for a while. And and it sort of coexist, i think that the streaming and and vinyl actually do coexist very well with each other because Now it's like, well, go listen to it. And if you really like it, then make it part of your collection. But you don't want to collect everything. You don't need to collect everything. Just collect the things that you want to own and and curate your own sort of thing. But I think there's like an individual ownership thing that's going on with it as well.
3: I think it's interesting too how, yeah, I mean, it sounds great. But it it makes you invest too, like whenever you're talking about, what was the name, Czar... How do you say it? Oh, oh, Start uh, with a Z. surface. Zer- Sorry, okay, there you go. <laughs> like, what's cool too is like, whenever you have a smaller band and you grab onto something, they have like a smaller pressing of there's almost a for a lot of collectors, an investment piece where you're like, you're kind of like, all right, I think this band really rips and I'm getting in early. And who knows, this might be worth something someday. Like, if you're really into it, and it's such a I'm in a band as well and there's such a like a complimentary thing to like when you're buying someone's record and you feel like you're really investing in them because you're buying this big physical piece. Yeah. And it's like, you're literally buying a stock in their band. And like, it's, I mean, for me, I would say my band isn't giant. We do 80 to hundred shows a year and like, like across the U S but mostly just in like seven or eight States. But I know there are people that own, because of different variants and stuff like that, there are people who probably own 30 to 40 copies of, like, my band. And I put out three full-lengths, a live album, and I think, like, three seven-inches. So just the math dictates that, like, they're finding extra (laughs) ways to spend money. And I think there's such a collector's piece to, to vinyl that, you know, you can't be other than maybe when, when it first happened, there's not that <laughs> with digital, you know, at all.
4: Yeah, I'd definitely say, like touching on all your points, like having that ownership and having the physical component of it, you know, and not having to just live in this digital world with this music, which is great, obviously, to have that um, technology, um, but also, I mean, just vinyl in general, it sounds better and it feels better and. There's just a warmth and an organicness. CDs
1: can sound better. CDs can even sound
3: better sometimes.
4: Yeah. Like no. You, absolutely. You put, yeah. I'll record. I mean, a lot of times, like I'll record. Yeah.
1: yeah if I re- 90s music sounds best on CDs. It's yeah, like, I have a belief that
3: you'll put it in your car and you'll hook up Spotify and you're yeah. like, "This sounds flat." It's yeah.
4: A my
1: my like, daughter started buying CDs. An 18 year old started buying. She's like, "It sounds so much better." Yeah. Like, it's like wow. Compared to Spotify. I have yeah, a data really loss. Right.
4: Yeah, if I record a mix, I'll throw it on a CD and go and listen to it in the car because that's just, like, the best way to, I mean, really listen to it, the sound of it. Um,
3: when I listen to King Gizzard on Spotify in my car, it is terrible. It's awful.
0: <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I, I should have had a CD to panel, too. Yeah,
2: <laughs> There are things I will not listen to digitally, for sure. I, I th- yeah. I'm a
1: believer it's that I'm you should. Same, same, you should listen to things on the medium they were recorded and designed for. That's why, I mean, you listen to records from the 70s on vinyl, they sound amazing.
3: They do sound incredible. You listen to like, it
1: on Spotify, you're like, it sounds wrong. Listen to a modern record on Spotify, it sounds right. You listen to it on vinyl, you're like, it just sounds like a digital, it doesn't, it can work, right, if they master it right. But mastering is a big part of this. Because if it's mastered for vinyl, you know, digital has a hard ceiling of zero dB. Vinyl does not have that hard ceiling. It's a lot, I mean, you, you would know this, I'm sure, more than, it's, it's got a soft ceiling to it yeah and so it's got more like dynamic
3: compression rates Do you want to do step four and like uh no i totally had that experience like six months ago i was listening to uh let's get it on by barry white and like and it was like a record store day re-release but it's still cut from the masters and like the clarity of that on vinyl was mind-blowing and i went and listened to one of my <laughs> bands on my own label and I was just like dang this sounds like dog crap compared to this (laughs) now granted Barry White had a truckload of you know money behind all of it, but it was just like because of how in its purest format that's what it was made and that's at the time what was everything was built around it was just it was incredible like it melted my mind and like there was like little like things this is something that I've happened a lot with final two I think is once you start to get into it and you get a good table and everything there are things because of the mastering process being different that sometimes get lost in the mix because of data loss, because of compression, that you don't hear unless you play it on vinyl. And I, I think every one of us probably had, remember that first experience where you're like, I've listened to the song 15 times. I've never heard that weird. Yeah, tambourine <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, well,
4: where'd that come from? Usually like, percussion.
3: Yeah. Something and like, I'm sure the, like bands, the bands were something. like, Yeah, that, that's such a huge part of the song. Right, and like, right, right yeah vinyl
1: sounds as a musician I, I do a lot of recording too uh vinyl sounds more like a, like the way it sounds to me in the studio when i'm recording than than uh digital does it has this like a glue cohesiveness to it that i think is more like the feeling of, of playing it live or that playback through the mixing board you know for what it's worth.
3: You're rich and can just have afford like really killer speakers and all your digital files are lossless files, which is like
1: Neil Young and 10 other people.
0: Yeah. Let so us come hang out at your house. That kind of jumps ahead to a question I was going to ask later, but since we're here, Chris, since you're in a band, when you started your band, like how early in the process did you know you wanted to press on vinyl? I mean, I knew right away, but it felt like uh, I was like, "Man,
3: That'd be cool someday if my band didn't suck so much that people would want to buy it on vinyl. And thankfully it didn't didn't take too long. But like, yeah, I mean, I think it's just different for everybody. But for me, it was just, you know, I saw some bands that I really liked. They were pressing a bunch of wax. And it just, like, it seemed so cool, so tangible. And it was like one of those uh, moments for a, a young band. And when you get like every band has different things as you're going up and there's those things you're always like, that's like what real bands have. And I remember getting that first seven inch. I was like, dang, we're like a band. And like, and now, you know, I'm like, especially with the weird world I'm living in, like with sand fields, liquid fields and everything else in my house. It's just like, Oh, okay, this is cool, I guess. But like, there's still something so real and so cool. And every time I get a new pressing from the plant, For either the label or my band it's still just like this is awesome and to see how many people even though all of us were surrounded by vinyl all the time the amount of people that regularly you meet and you might show them something for the first time and they're like what is this and yeah i mean i i can't suggest it enough and if you're in a band and you're touring it's the only physical medium in the world that's growing as far as music sales go and the amount of this sounds dirty, but the amount of repeat potential customers that you can have because of vinyl is astounding. Like every time you go through a press, like, oh, you repressed it, tint the jacket so you can change the color of the vinyl and like, just do some stuff, make it cool, make it what you would want it to be.
1: Yeah. I, I, one of the businesses I'm involved with is a record label called Joyful Noise. And one of the things we've done that's been really successful is just color and custom variations of, of, and then VIP versions and, you know, it's been insane. Like Carl's
3: the gold standard for subscription programs. Oh, yeah. If you're just curious,
1: yeah, we, it's been great. Carl, it's been and and so he's really found a way to build out a fan base that will buy pretty much anything that they put out because he's a curator and he, he thinks about the quality of the releases too. But the, by variating the pressings and having a gold pressing and a, you know whatever it might be, people will buy multiple copies. To have all the variants. As personally, I don't do that. I'm not that kind of collector. Give me one great copy. I care about the audio quality. I want black vinyl, if whenever possible, <laughs> black vinyl. Just kidding. Just because it's just usually the other stuff gets in the way of the fidelity. Not always. Yeah. No. Yeah. Not can, always. For sure. Um, and uh, all I really care about is a great pressing, you know. But that's not that's not everybody's thing. That's totally cool,
0: you know. They you look like you wanted to jump in a second uh, ago. Oh
2: well, a, a minute ago. So by the numbers, cassette tapes are actually growing faster than anything else. That does not mean they're coming back or there's a weird cassette tape resurgence. It's just in relationship to their prior sales.
3: It's a so percentage.
2: It's a percentage. So like when you see these articles floating around, it's like cassette tape sales grew by 150%. It's because we sold like two the year before or something, you know. But, th- but I do think that cassettes as a physical format are a legitimate physical format that should not be overlooked if you're a band uh, yeah, in well and, they're, and
3: they're just a cheap they're, they're cheap they're, they're cheap and but they're that's fun. how this
2: all happened in the first place too as i recall like i remember buying records from bands because they were cheap you know like i could get a seven inch for like you know three bucks in 2003 or four you know that that's that's what was doing pre- like pressing plants alive during that time period really were indies and indie bands and indie labels and you know so i i was going to throw that in there but there's a lot I could say about the new records, colors and collectors. New and records
1: used to be ten, fifteen bucks. Not that long ago. I mean, yeah. I remember going to shows and buying records from bands for ten, fifteen bucks back in the late nineties and two thousands. And now they are twenty, twenty five, thirty dollars. And I, I as long as the money's going to the band, I'm cool with it. But it's definitely pushed me to buy fewer new releases. Just, you know, because it's like, well, I'm I'm
0: getting more picky. That's kind of the perfect segue to the next question. So we were talking earlier about how a lot of used vinyl, if it's like a rare pressing or whatever, can go the value could be a lot higher. Is there any new vinyl that you see nowadays having that effect you know twenty years from now potentially?
3: I hope all my stuff, all my weird stuff i mean i I think there is um and it's gonna it's just the world we live in now everything we are so homogenized towards like we all want to be individual. To like have our own individual taste and be so different, but we're also have all these little subcultures and genres and everything, and so it's no different than cars where it's like, hey, this one iteration of this vehicle that you've seen thousands of, but there was only a hundred made in Dakota Blue, blah blah blah. Those are the things that are going to probably long term hold the value. So I think about someone like these are good, correct? If the if it's not good. It may have sold at first, and that'll be that. Um, but like, I think of stuff like, you know, when Carl worked with um, something he did that I didn't get, but it was so cool. Uh, the drummer from the Melvins, and the Melvins are obviously pretty established, they did a essentially lathe cut record on a, uh, they got like a six inch cymbal and then cut the music onto the cymbal. If you're a Melvin's fan, that's you're like that's like the dopest thing I've ever seen. Like and as Dale Grover and I th- I think about things like that and I'm like those things I think are going to last and I think about even for myself the some of the customs that I've made for bands that are maybe up and coming and if they really become something, you know, it's no different than most things like if you were if you collected, you know, basketball cards or whatever or You know, it's just all about getting on the ground floor. But I do think, and it's not a problem, but most of the bands, you're going and dropping 20 bucks for their new record, which is awesome. Please never stop. We'll all die. We won't, she'll lose a job. She won't have anything to turn anymore. And I'll have to think about being a real person. So please, (laughs) please don't stop. But most of those things you buy, it's like the appreciation of a car most likely because if the band lasts four or five years if they close up shop you know if you go to sell at a store I,
1: I would counter that a little bit i think I, I think if it's a really good record by a really good band and it's a quality pressing i mean you see that stuff just go up and up like those early jenny lewis records ridiculous prices that's because it's really good music you know you see that with a lot of those bands that came out of Chicago in the 90s and 2000s that were just you know very good at what they did those records become more and more valuable and discogs is really again you talk about marketplace it's really like opened up that marketplace in a way that ebay never quite ever did and showed you what the true value of stuff is now i've started entering my collection into discogs i haven't gotten through it all cuz it's you know it takes time but I'm shocked at what some of those records are worth. Records I bought five to 10 years ago are worth 30 50 or $100 now. And it's not like s- stuff that I didn't even think twice about. It's just, you know, you buy it because you like it. Um, so I think it's all about the music. I think yeah, quality absolutely. music. No, for sure. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
4: We live in like an interesting time though with music in general where, I mean, I guess mostly with popular music where there's been so much emphasis on singles versus albums as a whole like you see it kind of coming back you know to a focus on you know a full album and not just about one song being pushed out um I mean I would say I guess as an example of like a really just start to finish amazing record that might stand up or hopefully will stand up to that is like Kendrick Lamar's Damn um you know i would see that as like a good example of something that on vinyl will probably be worth like you know
1: especially if it's not being repressed yeah
4: that's the whole thing yeah if there's not just a ton of pressings of these things and obviously you know that's
2: huge can i jump in real quick so i love kendrick for so many ways so many but one of the reasons is that he was quick to vinyl with each of his yeah. releases. There are so many releases these days that don't have a vinyl release yeah. or they have a very delayed vinyl release. And then if they're part of a major label, once the vinyl comes out, they don't repress it. Yep. Now that inflates demand, which then inflates price. But does that actually make it more valuable 20 years from now? Maybe not. Ariana Grande records, they made a big run of and then they stopped. People want them and now they're twice as expensive and they were already kind of expensive to begin with, but it's because they're not manufacturing anymore. Kendrick Lamar Dam Records, when they ran out, you know what they did? They pressed us some more so that people could buy them at an affordable price. I think there's something really beautiful about things not getting more expensive, you know, that actually staying the right price so people can buy that, enjoy it, and and own it. Now, I, I think 25 years from now his catalog will those original first pressings right, right. that's when we're going to see that become valuable in a different way
1: I totally agree. I think, I think don't, never buy a record thinking I'm going to get rich buy a record because you love the music you know and then if you have appreciation on the value that's cool but sure see, a lot of
2: those records you love are going to go
1: down I see a lot of people buy records thinking like oh I'm going to it's going to be worth $100 anytime it says limited edition or collectible on it almost a sign that you should probably it's probably not going to get
3: also sometimes this sounds so mean sometimes things are limited because no one else no one wants enough of it for it to not be limited that's just life
0: well working at a record store i mean i don't know how guest room is but a lot of the like record store day releases like it's surprising how many of those we'll order and then like five of them and we'll sell one and we'll have the other four sitting on ourselves for you know two i think we have the it was a Sex Pistols like seven inch box set from two years ago that we still have like three copies of sitting around. So yeah, it was, it was limited it's a risk to four thousand copies. Yeah, yeah, it's still limited.
3: Okay, but yeah, okay, they're backing up plants all over the world. All right, it's limited. You know, what's limited space on the plant. I digress. Palomino will take you in, though.
2: Yeah, a critical understanding of the word limited is really important. You can always ask a question at a record counter, which is like, so how many did they actually make of this? And if you get, like, 5,000 or more, then I don't consider that limited.
0: Kind of going back to what we were talking about with technology, the the digital vinyl thing that Gabby was talking about is one. I know I've I've started to see some, like, laser record players. Do you guys know anything about those or have any comments about those?
1: Japan, I think, is building one of the – yeah – they don't touch the vinyl. It's a laser that bounces back and and then decodes the music. I'd love to hear what they sound like. I've never heard one. They're expensive.
4: Recently in the DJ world, there were these phase needles that came out that basically just kind of follow the I guess pattern of the vinyl record themselves. I think it's kind of similar to what do they call what needle phase. It took. It, they were like, a, in the words of my husband, they were like the fire festival of, of DJ. <laughs> The launch was like because the, they were supposed to come out and it didn't, and there was all this, like, oh, it's yeah. coming, it's coming. Now, unlike Fire Festival, they actually do work. They're co signed by a lot of, you know, well renowned, you know, DJs. Yeah, it's it basically just kind of scans it. It's magnetic.
3: Every time I see it, I just think, Blu- is
4: it Bluetooth? Bluetooth. Yeah, and it goes around, that's a motion. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you don't even have to have a record underneath it Yeah, you don't have to So yeah, the Serato record, all that It's not natural (laughs) Right, oh no, you still do need the record for the manipulation That is right Yes, yes DJ Indiana Jones, ladies and gentlemen
0: (laughs) Well with that <laughs> uh with that I want to open it up to the floor, see if you guys have any questions. Do, I just, I mean, Bring have it. A, um I haven't okay, so working in the record industry for as long as I have I've like a lot of test pressing and stuff like that. Is that still a thing? Like are people still getting their hands on like when twins are still in H has now? Like, you know, are they
1: pressing on are they giving out test pressings to certain taste makers and stuff like that? That's a huge. that's a huge part of joyful noises like thing i will say that like they have tre- test pressing week every year they they do test pressings for VIPs they'll do extra test pressings because they there's so much demand for them test pressings are interesting How do you do
0: extra, I am mean, sorry that's not a test pressing if you do extra test pressing.
1: well like 20 instead of. So test
0: so pressing is literally like the 20 that you get in the first battery right well, saying, normally, saying, so normally they
3: give you 3 or 5 right you can get and like 20 instead so. without the label without
0: you know they yeah. just come yeah.
3: Burger Records is the only place on earth that I've seen that had some criminal test pressing yeah. practices for a while, and I love Burger Records, but they're they were like pressing like I'm 100. talking about <laughs> like
1: like going from five to twenty, not like five to two hundred, yeah. but like just you know like basically those are those initial reference, and we we haven't talked about hot stampers yet. <laughs> anybody know that term? Hot stampers, you know, like records that are just really high fidelity. They just everything was right in the the chemistry. Because there's a lot of things going on physically with pressing a record. A lot of heat going on and things like that. So there's people that actually like get hot stampers. Supposedly the younger the pressing, the better it sounds because the stampers not as worn out. I don't know, maybe you can jump in. So test pressings might sound a That's little bit better. That's the thought, but
3: I don't man, I'd I'd put that to the test. It'd be, I'd put that to the Burger King taste test or something. You'd be like, hey, here's... Because also what matters a lot is like... Did you make a one step plating or two step plating on your stamper? And so it's like a two step can press a lot more records. So if you had a two step plated record and I put someone next to him like this was the first one, this was the I don't know, three hundredth, the quality is generally so good on those that like I feel like you you'd have to be like believing your own BS probably. But
1: they are still collectible test For press sure. inside.
0: record sure that was right and that was even more valuable but then the white label would go out to whatever the top 50 right,
2: so know, like, I mean, stores get test pressings pretty regularly uh, mostly from independent labels like you know, we got a Mountain Goats test pressing for their last release that was autographed, but we give away, right? So they are incentives to bring people into a store and not buy online, mostly by independent labels so that we can give them to people. But yeah, they are out there. And I, you know, what's interesting is that I feel like I have to educate people a lot about the test pressing. I don't think people really understand what that is most of the time. Just very honestly, they're like, oh, this is a cool thing. Why doesn't have a cover? But. You know, but it's fun. I mean, I, I like that part of it as well, but they're out there.
0: I think we got time for one more question, if anybody has one. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have any comments about yeah. The luxury of having yeah.
1: this I'm a big fan of that stuff. I've got six different setups between my houses and my businesses. So I'm always kind of moving in different vinyl setups, and some of them are really lo-fi. Like, I've got a Caliphone setup in my garage that's just great for 45s. So I'm a big fan of, like, pairing the the vinyl... Like format to the medium, and I've got like a Macintosh clip set up for my living room, you know, with a Lynn Sondek. So it's a nice like kind of like reference almost, and I've got tube set up as well. But I think that you know it's nice to have different variety with that, because you're I have a set up for my like kitchen uh, uh, living room, sorry, uh, dining room area that's really not that amazing. It's like a, a Marantz amp and a Sansu. Uh, turntable, the yeah, whole thing—garbage. Ugh, like... sick. Well, Disgusting. I mean, the whole thing's like three hundred bucks, right? It's like you know, it's like it's like not a, like a hi-fi; it's a mid-fi. But I love that setup, and I listen to more records on that than anything else. Hook it up.
3: Yeah. So, no. yeah, yeah.
2: That sounds so lovely. Like I, I hope to have that kind of setup at some For point. Real. Uh, I've only I d- seen a Macintosh in person once. I don't have my stuff
1: together. It was a good, good Macintosh. I'm yeah. solid state.
3: Okay, yeah. still, it was, pre- it was pretty.
2: I, <laughs> I, that is an ongoing. I love that question because I tend to be a bit more of an audiophile leaning person than my partner who doesn't so we are very DIY make it work sounds good keep going kind of people but you know I, I really do love listening to records in the kitchen uh, it is actually my favorite places I love to bake as well and that's the one time I, my brain is not doing anything else but just listening and so we, we have the best setup there but I think you know my that's just you know very basic like old school Technics turntable that we have uh, is yeah, it that's is. It. Well, that's
4: what we, I mean I used to DJ. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like the standard. I mean, they're the, one best. Of the best. the best turntables out there. Yeah, that's. I mean, for my setup, we have one um in our living room with just the receiver and you know some basic speakers and. We've got a few other areas in the house that are set up for us to, you know, DJ in and play around at any time. But I'd say that's probably, like, my favorite place to listen to. Now, if there's, like, a record, like, sometimes I've taken, like, new records I've gotten and I've just, like, played them early in the night at the club before, you know, if it's not playable, depending on, like, what kind of gig I'm doing. Just because I do love to, like, listen to it in a, like, club atmosphere with, like, big speakers and the subs and... Yeah. Well,
2: t- that is literally why I... St- I mean, I, I joke, I like, I'm not a DJ. I just like to play records for people in other environments. Uh, and that That's was literally DJ. why. I want to listen to my You're records. A DJ. God's a DJ. Well, you know, but I want but, to but listen to my records in a really nice sound system. I want 3,000 oh, watts. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pay me a little money to do it.
3: <laughs> Mine is far less romantic than any of these. I really wish it, I had more time for it to be. Like, there are times that, like, I... It's been a while, like since the my record labels grown and so much of it is a lot of my time spent with it is making these handmade custom records. The time that I get most is just I have like a couple of what I call my builder tables and they're just like cheap turntables. And they're they were sacrificed for a greater good for me just to make <laughs> stuff on. And so just my I have a record player set that's right beside me. And it just kind of blasts into my face and tries to drown my blues away as i if each one of these records takes an hour to make and I have to make like two hundred and there there's a lot of vinyl to go through, which is good so. They people do pay good money for them. Thankfully,
2: I am a proponent. I will say this: like when I first started like listening to records again, I had a Crosley, not the worst one, but just a basic portable $150 turntable, and you know I killed it. I listened to so many records on it, and to me that sounded great because I was listening to records again.
3: The best turntable is the one you use. Like, Absolutely. The best, like, Absolutely, for real. So yeah, if someone Yay. spits on you and they're like, look at that. Be like, hey, that's what I got. That's real life. It's money. I,
1: I want to give a shout out to Sure Cartridges, by the uh, way. Yes. Yeah. I use Sure. sure it's uh, like S six nine seven HE or something, on pretty much everything. It's like hundred some bucks, and it's got like you can swap out the needle on it. It's got a little cleaner on it that goes next to it, and it's not a, it's not like a crazy hi fi audiophile cartridge, but it sounds great. And I've just had so many cleaning ladies like at my business break needles because they don't they don't know how to clean you know and it's no fault of them you know i just started buying these and i realized i'm just gonna use these on every turntable and they sound great
4: yeah i use i well i like the sure like the head shells but the orophone concords are really good yeah those are great yeah Yeah.
1: the best moving coil one you can get is a denon though i will say that if you want to spend 178 bucks or so it's an amazing moving coil if you really want to get snobby with it. Um, but I, ha- I had one, the cleaning lady broke it. <laughs> There's like, these $32 dollars <laughs> at Audio
3: Technicas up at Indy CD and Vinyl, and I normally buy those because I break a lot of needles, given what I do. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll be like, I'll need three of those. But they work great until I break them. It's no fault of their own.
4: I've actually been really lucky. I I just bought a dude stylist for my needle but like mine have stood up very well like i'm very shocked after all the wear and tear they get you know djing a few nights a week
0: i think that's about the time we got uh does anybody have any final thoughts about your love of vinyl
4: just keep keep buying it um i mean even be who i gets you know music for free or you know, parts of, part, part of a record pool uses digital music. I mean, I still think it's very important to contribute back to, obviously, the music community, and that's a huge way, or at least a, a way that you can do that, and you'll really enjoy it at the same time.
1: Uh, I have a new project that's about to launch called Vinyl Lending Library that um, will be putting uh, vinyl lending libraries in different places around the city and um, if anybody knew Ryan Huey, he passed away. Part of his collection is going into that. And so I just want to put a shout out to anybody that's interested in that. I'll be launching here soon, soon with some other folks. But the idea is just to, to turn people onto vinyl. Like, I just think that experience, especially in a busy digital device driven world, sitting down and having that experience is so therapeutic that I just want people to have that experience, you know, so.
3: It's a very active, not passive experience yeah, for that, sure.
1: And it's got community around it, too which is kind of the idea is like bringing people in together. So that should be live in a couple months.
2: Yeah, all that. This panel has been really good. I think you all are great. And you all are great. I used to teach, so I'm always so excited when people are like paying attention. and. I care. have a teaching <laughs> degree. All right. RIP. So. Um, but no, I, I think the last thing is that I, I, I love vinyl. I think they're little tiny time machines. I think that... I love thinking about whose hands they were in before mine, whose hands they might be after mine, uh, whether I get sick of listening to it or I disappear from this earth, it'll still be here. I think that, you know, in, when you're very overwhelmed, it is that therapeutic quality, it is that objectness of it that kind of allows us to stop and be with sound. And I think that that's just not something that other media has that, that music still does, and I think that's one of the reasons to celebrate it and keep it going.
0: Mm. I I think we have to end on that note So, thank all four of you for being here Thank you guys for being here too Stick around, we still have a music video panel coming up at 6.30 And then enjoy the rest of the fest as well Thank you
1: Do you think about
4: me still Close your eyes, I'm sure you will You need me to be
1: I'm
4: the worst thing for you I think of you at the hardest times
1: Always
4: on my longest drive